Hello and welcome to another great podcast here, courtesy of Skyline Columbus. My name is Todd Shellett. I'll be your presenter for today. And today we're going to talk about the minimum instruments and equipment that are required to be on board your aircraft prior to flight. Now, I'd like to be able to tell you where I'm getting the information so that way you can go and research it. So today our information is coming from the regulations, the Federal Aviation Regulations 91.205. And in that particular regulation, it talks about the minimum instruments and equipment required for flight. That breaks it down into three different distinct portions. One is the VFR day, the other one is VFR night, and the other one is IFR. So let's start off, let's talk about day VFR, and uh, let's see what we need actually to go flying. So if I'm going to take a flight during the daytime conditions and it's VFR, I'm going to need an operable airspeed indicator. Now remember, all this equipment, just because you have it installed, doesn't mean it's, uh, it's correct. It has to be working, okay? It has to be working and it has to function correctly in order for it to be legal. So the first thing you need is an airspeed indicator. You've got to know how fast you're going, all right? The next thing is an altimeter. We've got to know how high we are. Now, it, some of you have never seen the other form of altimeter. What do I mean by other form of altimeter? Well, there's really two different types of altimeters. There's one what we call a pressure-sensitive altimeter with a Colesman's window. That's Colesman's with a K. And uh, the other one is, is not pressure-sensitive. In other words, you can't, um, you can't dial in the current barometric pressure outside. And if you remember back to when you was taking your private pilot examination, uh, it asked you a specific question on the written test. It said, if the field elevation or if the barometric pressure is not available at your airport, what do you dial in? Well, you simply just dial the field elevation in. So on these altimeters that do not have a Colesman's window, what you would need to do simply is just dial in the field elevation of your departure airport. Uh, most of all aircraft nowadays have a pressure-sensitive altimeter with a Colesman's window. So we'll just kind of stick with that one. However, not required for VFR day flight. All right, the next thing you're going to need is a magnetic compass, all right? So there's different type of magnetic compasses, believe it or not. You have the regular, what we call the wet compass. You have a, a vertical card compass. Uh, so, you know, just kind of looking and see exactly what you need. Does it need to be a wet compass? Nope, just must be a magnetic compass. So make sure we keep that in mind. As long as you have a compass installed, it absolutely positively. I've, uh, I've got into an airplane with people. There was a vertical card compass, and I asked them, is this legal for flight? According to the regulations, it says you need a magnetic compass. But what is this, and can you use it? And they really didn't know. So make sure that you know what you're flying and know what your equipment is. The fourth thing we're going to talk about is, uh, is actually a group of items. It's actually your engine gauges. So you're going to need a tachometer. It's also known as the RPM gauge. You're going to need an oil pressure gauge, all right, an oil temperature gauge. And then if you've got an engine that operates, that cools itself via a radiator like you would have in your car that uses water, then you ha must have a, a temperature gauge for each liquid-cooled engine each liquid-cooled engine. And the last thing, uh, uh, by the way, uh, I've never flown an airplane that had a radiator in it. Uh, I've flown a little small, little small ultralight airplanes that did have a radiator, but they didn't have the horizontally opposed engines that we have in our airplanes that had these uh, Rotax engines. And I think that's probably going to be well, the new wave of the future is actually to have these Rotax on here. And a lot of those are water-cooled, so be on the lookout for those if you've never seen one before. Uh, the last thing uh, dealing with the uh, the engine gauges 
is going to be a manifold pressure gauge. Manifold pressure. If you've never seen the manifold pressure gauge, it's what we use in a high-performance airplane, and it basically measures how much pressure is in the intake manifold of the engine. So the more pressure into inside that intake manifold means we're bringing in more air, and we should be producing more power. All right, our next one we're going to talk about is that you must need a set of fuel gauges indicating the quantity in each tank. Now, according to the Federal Aviation Regulations under Part 43 and some other parts there, it's kind of a mixed match thing, they really only should be accurate at one time, and that's really when the tanks are empty. Okay, so I've actually got an airplane sometimes where the airplane indicate the fuel indicator showed full, and I looked at the tank and it was almost empty. And then when the tank was almost uh, then when the tank was almost full, the qu engine quantities would show uh, the excuse me the fuel quantity indicators would show uh, empty. So see, vice versa there. They would. They, I'm pretty sure you see what I'm talking about. So what I'm trying to say here is that the mechanic on both these occasions that I got in this airplane had actually wired the receiving the electrical receiver into this wrong. Had wired it wrong. There was a mismatch in wiring, and we were actually seeing opposite of what we should see because of the reverse polarity. Now, I'm not an aircraft mechanic, and if I misquote anything during these podcasts with mechanic things, you're perfectly acceptable. Uh, it's perfectly acceptable to challenge me on these issues uh, because I'm, I do not make a living as a as a mechanic, only as an instructor. So let me keep instructing and talk about the next thing here, and that is your landing gear position indicator. If you are flying an airplane that has retractable landing gear, you must have something inside, whether it be a digital or electronic or, or a mechanical, something that tells you whether the gear is up or whether the gear is down. Now the first one, uh, the, the, excuse me, the next one we're going to have here is actually has a date stamp on it. And that is your anti, you must have an anti-collision light system uh, for any of these uh, small civil airplanes certificated after March 11th, 1996. All right, so uh, the anti-collision light system, what is that? That's either your, your aviation white, which is your strobe, or your aviation red, which is usually your beacon, anti-collision light system on your airplane. So most of the time, uh, flight trainers are usually in the 70s models, 80 models airplane. Are they required to have anti-collision lights during the daytime? No, they're not, because they were manufactured prior to March 11th, 1996. So if you go out to one of our flight trainers, or if you go out to your airplane, if it was produced prior to March 11th, 1996, and your beacon is inoperative, can you still go flying? Absolutely. So let's make, make sure also, like I said before, make sure you know the regulations, know what, know what uh, uh, pertains to you and your airplane. And now, if uh, for some reason, if you are for hire and you're going to be flying over water, uh, and you're going to be flying beyond the gliding distance back to shore, you're going to need to have some flotation gear for each occupant and at least one pyrotechnic signaling device, that's your flare gun. You're going to need to have those on board. And that's only if the airplane is for hire and if it's over water. Now, the next thing you need would be a seatbelt. And you only need to have a seatbelt around every occupant that is above the above the age of two years old. If they are two years age of, or younger, uh, two years of age or younger, they can actually be held in the lap by a person who is wearing an approved safety belt. So they must be in and fastened in lockdown, and then they can hold the child that is two years of age or younger. Now, 
Uh, the last thing we need is a shoulder harness. So for each front seat occupant for small airplanes manufactured after July 18th, 1978, so here's another date stamp, uh, and basically all the normal utility and aerobatic planes uh, having a seating capacity of nine or less, uh, manufactured after December 12th, 1986, you got to have a shoulder harness and you got to be wearing it. So in short here, when we talk about the seat belts, just remember this, that each occupant of the seat belt must have their, air, must have their seat belt on during taxi, takeoff, and landing, and the crew must maintain their seat belts at all times, and the passengers can actually take their seat belts off and move freely about the cabin and a 172 when they get up in cruise, whatever that constitutes, I don't know. But you don't have to keep your seatbelt on once you get in cruise flight for the passengers, only during taxi, takeoff, and landing. And the last thing is going to be the emergency locator transmitter, if required, by 91.207. 91.207, that's our ELT regulation. So for flight trainers here, do we need ELTs? Well, if we stay within 50 nautical miles of this airport, not required to really have an ELT. So make sure that you know your regulations, what you're doing, what you're flying, and how it pertains to you. The next thing we're going to talk about is VFR night flight. So for VFR night flight, you'll need all the items that were in the VFR day list plus position lights. That's what we call the, the nav lights, the red and green on each wingtip and the white light on the back. You'll need to have a set of those on board, and they'll all need to be working. Can't have the red light out, can't have the green light out, can't have the white light on the back. All need to be working. And if the airplane is for hire, like uh, our airplanes here, these, uh, these flight trainers here, uh, they need to have one electric landing light. So I'm not really sure uh, why it actually determines the word uh, uh, electric there. I'm not really sure of any other type of uh, energy source that we could use to, to power a landing light, but it is specific. It says you must have one electric landing light. So remember this, if you own an airplane and it's not part of a flight school and you don't rent it out for charter, if it's not for hire, do you need to have a landing light? No, you don't. So make sure that you actually really go out with a flight instructor at night, do a couple of night landings without your landing light on. That way, in case you ever do ever need to make a flight without the landing light, you actually know what it's like to, to land an airplane without a landing light. Another thing, too, I want to add into that is a lot of people ask me, say, well, why would an airplane not have a landing light on it? Why would the airplane not be in, have a landing light installed? Well, like pilots can be certificated, so can airplanes. And when the airplanes go through their certification process, they are, and you'll find this as a placard somewhere on the airplane, what the airplane is certificated to do, just like what an, a pilot is certificated to do. But an airplane is certificated to fly during VFR day conditions, during VFR night conditions, and during IFR day and IFR night. So is it possible for an airplane to be certificated only for VFR day flight? Absolutely. It would need to have the equipment installed in it to make sure that that airplane can be operated at night. So there could be a possibility that you buy an airplane that doesn't have an electric landing light installed on it. Now the next thing you're going to need is an adequate source of electrical energy for all the installed equipment that you have. If you've noticed, all this stuff requires electrical energy. And you're, you're also going to need a spare set of fuses if your airplane is so equipped. A lot of airplanes just have the breakers that just pop out, and uh, so a fuse is not really needed for that. But if you do have 
an airplane that requires fuses, then you'll need to have a spare set of fuses. So what do we mean by a spare set of fuses? You want to have a minimum of three spare fuses of each kind required in the airplane. So if you have a 5 amp fuse, you want to have at least three of those. Alright, so the next thing we're going to talk about is your IFR equipment. In order to fly IFR, you've got to have all the equipment for day, all the equipment for night if you're going to fly IFR at night, and you also must have a communications radio. Up until now, we haven't made that a requirement for you to have. So now we're saying you got to have a communication radio, and you must have the navigation equipment on board appropriate for the ground facilities to be used. So if you're going to navigate via, via VOR, then it may be a good decision to have VORs on board. If you're going to navigate via GPS, you're going to need to have a GPS on board. Now, we can kind of skip the discussion here about GPS and whether a handheld or the rest of this stuff is required because that's a very lengthy subject. Maybe we'll do a podcast just on the handheld GPS to talk about the regulations and the requirements strictly governing the GPS handheld series. All right, the next thing we're going to talk about that you have to have for IFR, day, or AF, IFR uh, flight is the gyroscopic rate of turn indicator. If for some reason in your airplane, and they put this in the regulations, if you have a third attitude indicator installed, in other words, one on the pilot side, one on the co-pilot side, and then a standby, you're not required to have a rate of turn indicator. That's a little bit of trivia. When are you not required to have a rate of turn indicator? Well, that's when it would be. If you have three attitude indicators installed on your airplane, that's a lot of attitude to have in the airplane, isn't it? Absolutely. The next thing you need is a slip skid indicator if you don't have a rate of turn. So those kind of go together there. But uh, really, in specific, what we're talking about is that inclinometer. So the turn rate of turn indicator is your little airplane. It shows you if you're banking three degrees a second. And the other thing is the little ball and the little uh, water uh, level underneath it that shows whether or not your tail's in line. So you'll need that rate of turn and your slip skid indicator or your ball if you want to say that. The next thing is here's where you'll need your pressure sensitive or sensitive altimeter that should be adjustable for your current barometric pressure or the Colesman's window is what we call that. Uh, so make sure you have that and make sure it's working. The next thing is a clock with a sweep second pointer or some type of digital presentation. We've got to be able to see down to the second so we need a clock that shows that information. Now, as with the, uh, the VFR night flight stuff, here you'll also need a generator or alternator that has adequate capacity to run all this equipment on board. So if you're operating, remember, where was the generator a requirement before? Only in VFR night. So if you're operating IFR day, then you've got to have all the VFR day equipment plus everything for IFR. And here's where we make it during the daytime, that requirement that you have to have a generator or an alternator on board to run all this equipment. The next thing you got to have is an attitude indicator, also known by some pilots as the artificial horizon. You can call it either one that you want to. However, the regulations identify it as an attitude indicator. So you've got to have that, make sure it's on board, and make sure it's working. Uh, one of the last things here is the directional gyro or your heading indicator or something equivalent of that. It could be an HSI uh, if you need that. Or, you know, nowadays some equipments have a digital 
HSI. Uh, there's a company called Sandell. They make a digital HSI, which is a great piece of equipment for situational awareness. If you're thinking about upgrading your DG, you may want to think about upgrading to a digital HSI or an EHSI, meaning electronic um, horizontal situation indicator, and see if that doesn't tickle your fancy because that can really give you a lot of situational awareness without having to spend a lot of money on a on a, uh, a GPS system. Uh, now, if for some reason that you're operating your Cessna 172 at or above flight level 240, that's 24,000 feet, then you're need to going to have DME on board if you're going to be navigating via VORs. There is a way around that, and that is if you have an IFR certified GPS system on board with a current database, you can substitute that for DME. Um, the next thing you want to know is that at any particular time during your flight, pilots must report any loss of any of this equipment, whether it be a VOR, ADF, ILS, uh, or any uh, the capability or impairment of any air ground communications or any other information related to the safety of flight. You must report that. So if this equipment fails, you want to make sure that you let ATC know that you're not capable of doing these things. This is really important when it comes to instrument flying because we want to make sure that uh, if we lose our attitude indicator and our directional gyro, losing our vacuum system, that we don't get what is referred to as a gyro turn. Like, for instance, you don't want to hear the controller say, turn left heading 030. You simply just want him to say, give me a 10-degree turn to the left. And that way you can count it out in your head while maintaining your, your scan now, which is going to have to be really, really uh, quick uh, to make sure that you're doing what they tell you to do and make sure that you stay level with this airplane since you have no way of seeing your attitude or your heading except for the magnetic compass, which is up high, your turn corner down low, your altimeter, your scan's going to have to be a lot quicker and a lot further apart. So make sure that you look at these uh, equipment, that you keep your scan up while you're flying, and that all of this stuff is, um, is familiar to you, especially with what you're flying. See what's in the airplane, make sure it relates to you. Now, with everything that we have in aviation, we have acronyms, and I'd like to share with you the acronyms for these items that we just talked about. The first one acronym I'm going to give you is just for VFR Day Flight. And that acronym is called A-Tomato Flames. That's A-T-O-M-A-T-O -A -A Flames, F-L-A-M-E-S. So once you get that written down, I'll tell you what it is. I'm assuming that you have it written down now. You can pause me at any time. Remember that. The first, your first A is your airspeed. I'm going to go right down the list, okay? Instead of scrolling up the letter, I'm just going to go right down the list. It's airspeed, tachometer, oil pressure, manifold pressure, altimeter, temperature gauge for each liquid-cooled engine, oil temperature, fuel quantity indicators, landing gear position indicators, anti-collision lights, mag compass, ELT, and seat belts and shoulder harness. So those are all relating to the day VFR equipment. Now, if you are at night, what do you need? Well, you're going to need fuses, three of each type, your landing light if for hire. You're also going to need your anti-collision lights. All right, 
So if you're going to operate at night, you've got to have anti-collision lights. You also need your position light, which are your nav lights, and your source of power. Now, I really apologize for this because I should have told you what the acronym was before we started. So let me go ahead and tell you that now. It's FLAPS, F-L-A-P-S, like the devices you have next to your ailerons underneath your wings. FLAPS, F-L-A-P-S. Fuses, landing light, anti-collision, position lights, source of power. All right. The last thing we're going to talk about is what is the acronym for IFR. And I'll give it to you first this time, and I won't mess up like I did the night one. And it is Grab Card, G-R-A-B-C-A-R-D-D. And if you want to, you can actually put another D on the end of there. I think it's a little bit easier for you to remember it, but it'd be so Grab Card, duh, if you want to say it like that. Or not, that's fine. All right, so the G is your generator alternator source of power. Uh, the next one is radios appropriate for navigation. Next is your altimeter. Must be a pressure-sensitive one with a Colesman's window. Then you need your ball or your inclinometer. Your clock with a sweep second hand or digital. Attitude indicator. Rate of turn indicator. Directional gyro. DME if operating above flight level 240. And all the equipment required for day-night VFR. So the D in day VFR is the last D. Day-night VFR equipment, you'll need that depending on what you're doing. So this ought to get you started here on knowing the required equipment for day-night VFR and for day-night IFR. If you have any questions, please make sure you email me. That's Todd at SkylineColumbus.com. If you have any podcast requests that you'd like uh, for me to talk about, be happy to do that. Send me a request on that uh, email, and we'll talk to you soon. See you at the airport, and I hope that you always have a great tailwind. So long.